You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on our last part of our series called All That Matters. And uh, let's just go straight to the Word. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. In verse 1, He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send your Spirit to us to give us wisdom and revelation. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and open our spiritual eyes that we may truly understand the Scripture. Lord, bless the preaching of your Word and bless each person who's here with us. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been going through this series, and over the past three weeks, we have been actually looking at what Jesus said about money. Everybody say money. money. Now, it's quite interesting because one of the most talked about subjects of Jesus in the gospel is about money and possessions. In fact, one out of 10 verses in the gospel, 288 verses all in all, deal directly with the subject of money. And the question is, why? I mean, why was money so important to Jesus that he talked about it many, many times? Why? And this is my wild guess. Because money matters. Money matters. I mean, you came here to this service. What did you do? You filled up your tank with gas. You spent money. Some of you commuted. You took Grab or you took the bus. Coming here, whatever that means may be, you used money, right? Lunchtime. You spend money for lunch, right? I mean, talk about the household bills. You have your electricity, your water, your telephone bills. What else? Your internet. 
Think about that. School, education. It's not for free. You use money. While we live here on earth, money matters. That's why Jesus talked about this. But the question is, is that all that matters? In other words, is money all that matters? And to answer that question, we've looked at many stories that Jesus talked about. Today, as we look at the end of our series, we want to answer this very question. Is money all that matters in life? Or better yet, what truly matters in life? This is what we need to discover today. So Jesus talked about the parable of the shrewd manager. Now, just a bit of a background. In uh, Luke chapter 16, where we have the parable of the shrewd manager, before this parable, in chapter 15, Jesus talked about three parables. And it's connected to this parable. The first parable was the lost sheep. And then the lost coin. And then lastly, we had the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means wasteful. And the audience that we had were the Pharisees, were the scribes, and the disciples. The Pharisees were grumbling and complaining about Jesus. In fact, they were saying, this guy eats with sinners. This guy dines with sinners. He's always with sinners. So Jesus talked about these three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. And you see, Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what really matters in the heart of God. It's the lost people. His heart is really for the sinners. Not the saved, but his heart was for the sinners. So he tells them again another parable, the parable of the shrewd manager. When they complained and grumbled and criticized him, now he talks about the parable of the shrewd manager. And from our text, Jesus talked about a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to this manager. Why? Because he was wasting away his possessions. Kind of like the prodigal son. He was wasting away. Very prodigal. But who is this rich man? Now, he's no ordinary rich man, mind you. Because this guy was a very rich man. In ancient times, very wealthy people who owned many, many businesses, were able to afford to get managers for their own business operation. That's how it was. The term manager actually in Greek is okoinomos, which means this. It means law and house. That means that he had the law of the house. He was the one that was delegated with the authority to act for the owner. He's the proxy guy. He managed the land, he managed the crops, he managed the assets, he also managed the debts. And he managed internally and externally. In other words, this guy had a high position. It's kind of like this. If you were the CEO of Apple computers, wow, it's kind of like that. The stature, you have prominence, you have everything. You had a high position and you had a huge responsibility and you had such a high social status. In fact, you know the who's who in society. That's how it is. You see it in the magazines and that's this kind of a manager. But he was charged with dishonesty and being wasteful. Now, it was not yet embezzling or stealing, but he was wasting the possessions away, probably because he was very irresponsible and very incompetent. That's who he was. So what happened? Verse 2 says, And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be 
manager. In other words, he was being fired. You are being fired. You're fired. But what's interesting about this story is that the owner did not fire him right away. In fact, he says, why don't you turn in the account of your management? Not yet, right? Now, if you are in a corporation and you know for sure that there is a non-performing asset in your employees, what do you do? You cut it right away so that this will not be a liability, right? Now, this guy is a liability. I mean, he's not performing. He doesn't care about the business. But yet, the owner said to him, you know, give an account. He's giving him a chance to give an account. Now, that's dangerous. If you are a business owner today and you have an incompetent employee or manager, you don't let him still do the business. That's why in the papers, you'll see their notice to the public. This person so-and-so is no longer connected to this company. Any transactions made with this is deemed null and void. But the owner gave this guy sort of like a chance. So in verse 3, he said there, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Now, this type of manager is the white-collar type of manager, the white-collar job manager. It means he goes to the office, he manages everything, he looks at the performance, he looks at operation, looks at HR, human resources, talks about uh, the admin stuff. This is the kind of manager. And he's not the type to really do hard work, like the blue-collar jobs, right? That's who he is. And he is also ashamed to beg. Why? Well, because he had the status. He's enjoying the status. He had status. He was the CEO, after all. That's what it was. So what does he do? Knowing that he is about to be fired, this is what he did. He said, I have decided what to do. So he begins to think about his future. He knows he will lose his home. He knows he will lose his servants. He will lose also his basic needs. He knows that he will be losing his lifestyle. And was afraid he will be losing that. So now he begins to think about the future and he decides what to do so that, he says, when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he sets up his goal. He says, hmm... My goal is that I'm going to look for people who can accept me when they fire me. So what does he do? He does the most very clever and the very cunning thing that he thought of in his mind. And in verse 5, it says that this is what he did. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So he does the most diabolical scheme. He calls all his master's debtors and gives a huge discount. 50% off! But do you know how much a hundred measure of oil costs? So I did a little bit of research. A measure of oil is equivalent to 875 gallons of oil. So a hundred means 87,500 gallons. And a liter of oil, if you look at the market today, the retail cost is between $7 to $30 per liter. That's how much it costs. Not just per liter, but per half a liter. So 87,500 gallons, that's equivalent to 336,000 liters. And if you multiply that, you know how much this costs? It's over 20 million U.S. dollars. That's how much this is. 
So you're talking about a very rich owner. And it was no joke that he gave half. So to the other, he says, how about you? How much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Gave him 20% off. That's about 6,348 US dollars. That's the cost of the wheat. But what was he doing? He was actually still acting with authority. Remember, he wasn't fired yet. So what did he do? He actually gives a discount for his account, not for his master's. Takes out 50 off, embezzled it, he had it. Now, in biblical times, to pay off a debt that was so great meant, or very important because it meant not losing your face. That means you're reestablished. That's a good thing. But the thing what he was doing is that the shrewd manager actually became a hero to this guy. Right? I'll give you 50% off. Sign it right away. I'll take care of it. I'll talk to my master. You just give half of it. That's what he was saying. In other words, he was actually preparing his future. Because someday, remember me? Remember me? I gave you half. $10 million. That's how much you owe me. If not, you should be jailed. But you see, you owe me. The debtor now becomes indebted to him. And in Filipino, we call it utang na loob. Okay, that's what it was. He had a debt. Now, here's the twist of the story. Jesus uses something that is totally strange or alien to the ears of the Pharisees that were listening to him. Because the Pharisees, they were self-righteous. You all know the Pharisees, right? They obeyed the law to the letter. They were self-righteous. They were very legalistic. And they were hearing this and they were saying, that manager should go to jail. Maybe that manager ought to go to hell. That's the kind of thinking they had. But guess what Jesus did? Now remember, he's a storyteller. In verse 6, he said, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. You know, my kids, when they're amazed or shocked, they say this, What? What? How can you commend a dishonest manager? I mean, if you're listening to this right now, you'd probably, you're a Christian, you're listening to this, Jesus, what are you saying? You're commending a criminal. What did you really mean? Because if I were the owner, right? If I were the owner, I would have just strangled him, you know? Put him to jail. 10 million US dollars is how much in, in pesos? Times 50, right? 500 million. Half a billion pesos. That's how much it was. But what did Jesus mean by saying, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light? Now, why did he mention this? So if you look at the word shrewd, Sometimes we look at it as something that is negative, right? If you're shrewd, don't like it, you're shrewd. But the meaning of shrewd in, in Greek is phronemos. Okay? It is defined by one's inner perspective. In other words, there is personal insight. This guy, this shrewd manager, this is honest manager, well, he had insight. Insight of what? Insight of his future. You see, Jesus was saying, you know, for the sons of this world are more 
shrewd. They have more personal insight about the future in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. You know what Jesus was referring to about the sons of light? He was talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were supposed to be the men of God. They were supposed to be the ones delivering the gospel. They're the ones who are supposed to be, you know, the holy people, the holy nation that belongs to God. They were supposed to be the sons of light. But they did not care about the lost. They didn't care about anything. They only cared about their current situation. If you read verse 14, you'll find out that the Pharisees, they were called lovers of money. They only thought of themselves on their current situation and they don't even care about their future as this shrewd manager who was very concerned about his future. That's what he was. In other words, Jesus was commending his insight or his deep thinking about the future. It made him commend the shrewdness. Jesus was not commending the dishonesty, the criminality. No, he was not about that. He said the sons of the world are better in their insight, introspecting everything, deep thinking about their future. The Pharisees were not thinking of that, not at all. They were lovers of money. That's why they ridiculed Jesus, if you find that in verse 14 of chapter 16. But to us, everybody say us. Yeah, to us. We are now called the sons of light. Amen. We are no longer the sons of darkness, right? But to us, Jesus is talking to us now. You and I, we are sons of light. All that matters in life is what Jesus is revealing in this text. In other words, all that matters to Jesus is found in what he said in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, the dishonest manager used unrighteous wealth. Remember the 50 off, right? I'll give you 50 off. Unrighteous wealth, right? To secure his future by winning favor from the debtors, right? who will receive him when he gets fired from work. A sons of light, Jesus is telling us this, to use unrighteous wealth now to make friends who will receive us in the eternal dwellings when all things fail. So what does unrighteous wealth mean here? You might be saying, Pastor, what does that mean? So if I'm a Christian, should I gain wealth unrighteously now? No, that's not what we're saying, okay? What we're saying about unrighteous wealth is this. Unrighteous, in reference to wealth, can refer to the corrupting influence wealth can have on certain people that leads them to commit unrighteous acts. They sin. Remember that for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It has a tendency to be unrighteous. But Jesus is not saying that money is unrighteous. There has a tendency to make it unrighteous. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Who will receive who? We go back now to our parable, right? There are three parables before this parable, right? The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, right? 
It's about the lost people. In other words, Jesus was referring to make friends with the lost, with sinners. What he was saying is that use whatever resource you have. Use it to win the lost. Make friends with sinners. Jesus is encouraging all of us, his followers, to be generous with our wealth in this life. So that in the life to come, we'll have new friends who will receive us into eternal dwellings. It's interesting. David Gusick said, we need to use our present resources to plan ahead for eternity. And all that matters to Jesus as he was saying this is this. In other words, number one, invest in eternity. Many people get to invest and there's nothing wrong with that. How many of you have investments, right? We have investments somewhere. There are financial institutions that give good yield for our investments, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's only good when we are alive. It's even better if we're still alive and we get to use it, right, in our retirement. You know, someone once said that, invest with an eye to eternity. Invest with an eye to eternity. You see, every time you use your money to bring a lost soul to church, what you're doing is that you are investing with an eye to eternity. You probably call your friend, tell them, you know, bro, I'll treat you for lunch. Just come to church. I'll treat you to McDonald's. We'll have coffee and apple pie only. Invest there. Every time you do that to reach out for the lost, every time you spend, you invest to a lost soul, guess what? You're investing in eternity. Every time you give support to missions or our missionaries, guess what? You are investing with an eye to eternity. Every time you support the building of God's kingdom, you are investing with an eye to eternity. You know, you'll be surprised. I mean, you, all of us will probably be surprised when we invest for the lost people, guess what? We'll be surprised that one day when we all go to heaven, you'll see the very people that you've invested in and they'll say, thank you for treating me to McDonald's, buying me that apple pie and coffee, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But guess what? There will also be others whom you will not know, but they'll come to you and say, you know what? You don't know me, but I'm from Mongolia. You actually sowed in the missions there, and guess what? I got saved in that mission trip. I want you to know that. That's what Jesus was saying. It's about investing in eternity. Where are we investing our resource today? You know, it's interesting, but when you get your bonus, it's so exciting. How many of you receive your bonus? But when you get your bonus right, you, you feel so excited, right? For 11 months, I have, don't have this kind of money on the 12th month of the year. Guess what? I can buy anything. Almost anything, right? Is that where we invest our money? Or is it in eternity? Secondly, all that matters to Jesus is that we be faithful stewards. Jesus said, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So you talk about stewardship. 
It has something to do with being faithful. If you are a manager of God's resource, then you are a steward. All of us are. Whether you like it or you like it, you are a steward of God's resources. Whether you would agree with me or not, you are a steward of God's resources. And we will be held accountable to that, just like what the owner did. When you talk about stewardship, it has something to do with being faithful with every resource that God has given you. In these words of Jesus, money really is considered to be one of the least things, if you think about it. Money is the least things. When he was talking about if you are faithful and very little, what little is that? Money. That's nothing to Jesus. That's nothing to God. Money is the least things. If a person cannot be faithful in managing the very little things like money, then how can be faithful in much? And one who is dishonest in very little will be also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, remember the unrighteous wealth, right? That gives you this tendency to love money, right? Well, it says, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? If you are false and unfaithful in the everyday life that God gives you, the resource, the time, the resource that He has given you, even if you put on this Christian image, even wear white, even if you look white and you look so holy, right? But if you are not faithful in your everyday life, guess what? You cannot be given the true riches. And Jesus was talking about spiritual riches. Something that is not of this earth. And then he said this. It's really interesting. He said that, And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? What's that another? Remember the parable prior to this, right? The parable of the lost sheep. Parable of the lost coin. And then the prodigal son. In other words, this church, our church, has been entrusted to be faithful, okay, of what really matters to God, and it's the lost people. God is so concerned. If you are not faithful in that which is another, God was talking about us, the church. If you're not faithful with what I am giving you, what really matters to me, lost people, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, who will give you that which is your own? We all know that everything belongs to God. We all know this. The psalmist said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, it is all His. In fact, you don't have anything in this world that is really yours. No matter how much name you put in your title deed, I can put it in my ORCR, you know, this car belongs to me. Truth is, I can never ever bring it with me when I die. All the things, all the resource. And this is what blew my mind. Many of us have been working so hard, we slave ourselves so hard, right? So that we can accumulate wealth, so that we can have this, we could have savings, we could actually go enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? So don't judge me, okay? But understand that no amount of work will let you own anything here on earth. But yet Jesus talks about something you will own. If you make it 
in a positive way, let me rephrase this, okay? It would read this way. If you have been faithful in that which is another's, you will receive something you will own. Blew my mind. Because there is something more. I mean, you know, God will reward us. We know that. And it's not just about eternal life. It's not just about salvation. But it's talking about the afterlife. It's talking about eternity. There's something that He will give to us because of our faithfulness. It blew my mind. Why? Because I've been slaving all my life trying to get get a house, get a car, get the properties, get blah, 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 blah. We don't get to own it. For the first time in eternity, God gives us something that we own. It's interesting what Jesus said. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I like the King James Version. talks about mansions. Streets made of gold. I cannot imagine how it would look like, Right? That's why invest in eternity. Be faithful stewards. And lastly is this, be devoted to God. I believe this is all that matters to God, is our devotion to Him. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, we talk about slaves. Slaves can't belong to two masters. That's impossible. In ancient times, you belong to only one master if you are a slave. And when Jesus stated that serving two masters is really a simple impossibility, it's impossible. You cannot serve both masters. If you think that you can, guess what? You are deceived. Now listen to this. One can have both money and God. But one cannot serve both money and God. It's all right to have money. You can have money and God in life, but you cannot serve them both. You only serve one. At the end of the parable, Jesus summarizes what truly matters in life. It's not about money or possessions. Not about that. But it's our devotion to God. Who are we really devoted to today? It's a matter of choice. You can tell me, Pastor, I am devoted to God today. Problem is, tomorrow, will you be devoted to God? Will you still serve God or will you serve money? Listen, church, it's difficult. And I'm not saying it's easy. But all that really truly matters to God is our full devotion to Him. And you see, the lure of wealth and money it's so much. It's, it's much. If you go to the United States, I had just met my friend. He said, you know, the materialism in the U.S., it's easy. You get money, you buy things for yourself, and it's never enough. And many people who have pursued wealth, fame, power, fortune, and all of that, who pursued it, who served wealth, who served money, missed out big time on God. And that's why question is, Will you make a daily choice to be devoted to only one master, God? You see, devotion really is a matter of the heart. Who do you really love? If you say you love God, then we got to see it. 
And this is my main point. See, our devotion to God will lead us to invest in eternity and be faithful stewards of God's resources. Amen? I'd like to end with a quote. It's not from the Bible, but it comes from a very famous man. In fact, we probably once in your life you have eaten in his fast food chain. <laughs> this is a quote he said, I always figured there is no use being the richest man in the cemetery. You cannot operate from there. Colonel Sanders said at 90 years old, people don't know that I gave most of my money away. Most of it goes to churches. You know, I've always wondered how in the world, like this guy, give 90% of his earnings for building the kingdom of God. William Colgate gave 90%. I only give 10%, sometimes 11, 15%. And I was wondering, what's the secret behind it? <laughs> Let me give you a personal testimony, sort of like a revelation for me. When Pastor Yel called me back a few years ago, joined him again in Alabang, I was so excited. I said, maybe God, this is really it. I'm going to give my whole life to you. I'll surrender everything to you. I'm, until the day I die, I'll be called pastor. <laughs> and it's important that we organize stuff and we get to have good HR. We really have a great HR human resource team. And they came up with a retirement plan of the age of uh, 60, actually. You can re retire. The early retirement is 55. And the forced retirement whether you like it or you like it, Pastor, you got to retire at the age of 65. So I was so shocked. And I said, what? And I was telling my wife, boy, Mahal, if I, if I retire at 65, then what will happen to us? I'd be old. And what will happen to us? So I was you know, processing it, processing it for a couple of years now. And Pastor El knows this. And we're laughing at this because it's funny. Because here I am trying to think about my retirement, not thinking that Life is short. Life is really short. God could take away our lives anytime. Well, the most important thing is about eternity. Totally destroys everything. Just reading this, this message really, you know, um, really blew me away. We've been running after retirement, we've been running after investments. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But don't miss on what's really important. We get to invest in eternity. Whatever resource we have, we use it for the glory of the kingdom of God. And we may reach more souls, more sinners, whatever it is we have, we give it to reach the lost. Because when you do and you're faithful with the resource of God, guess what? It'll give you the mansions. Your house is today, that's not going to be forever. But there's something eternal, greater. Rewards are greater, far greater than we can all ask or imagine. It's beyond all of us. Amen? Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for changing the way we look at life 
Thank you, Lord God, that all that matters in life is being fully devoted to you. Not to our finance, not to our money, not to the wealth that we have. But Lord, thank you, Lord God, that the most important investment that we can give is, is for the lost people, to win people for you. Thank you, Lord God, that you have opened our eyes as a church to know really what's in your heart. I pray, Lord, that every one of us, Lord God, will come out of this room, Lord God, renewed from inside out, Lord, that we may be changed, Lord God. And every time, Lord God, there is an opportunity to be a giver, to be to win the lost, Lord, we'll go for it. Thank you, Lord God. Our rewards are eternal and we get to own it. 